Hello and welcome to Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. No, you're Mika. My name is Nick. Do the thing. And I'm Nick. No. But I am. Not now. Am I do does Mika get to be a part of this or not? You are. You're leading it. <sighs> <laughs> you just called yourself the wrong name. No, it was a gag. It was a bit. This is a music history podcast. We have no room for bits. We are straight business all the time. That's Always my serious. nickname in college. Straight business. <laughs> and I don't know what. Oh, uh, did I throw you off too much? No, I just never know what to say here. Um, we have a YouTube. Yeah, it has Go a thousand subscribe. people that subscribe to it. That's so cool. We we do have we hit a thousand people right before Christmas, which was fun. We have a Twitter, but nothing happens over there. But you can go follow it if you want. It's probably the best way to like contact us when we get stuff wrong. Or um, they could be an angry commenter on YouTube. That's true, but then I might not see it. That's at Sound of History underscore on both of those and on TikTok now. But there's no point in following our TikTok because it's just all the stuff that's already on YouTube. So well, some people like TikTok more than YouTube. That's true, but whatever. All right, all that out of the way. It's time for the last. Mika is the host now of 2023. Mika is a host now. I guess um, it'll be 2024 when it comes out. But for us, it's 2023. My lip hurts. Uh, I think that everyone should know that. It's a great way to end the year. I did not bite it. And yet, it like hurts like it has been bitten. Did you bite my lip? No. Then my throat hurts. Because I did my nails the other day and I and, and I inhaled all of the bad particles and fumes and stuff that are poisoned to my body um and now my throat hurts so that's not just good. falling apart in the year i am but my nails are so sparkly like little <laughs> disco balls except for they like have color when they sparkle but they're just silver i love them i never do sparkle sparkle sparkles who was your favorite artist of 2023 I don't know. I don't feel strongly about very many things. Okay. Who who did you listen to most on your little Spotify rap? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Remember it was that one song that's like what I listen to in the morning when I'm like going to work and I'm like everything's going to be fine. And it's the song about about how everything is fine and and yeah, and how it's Lego all going to be fine. No, not from the Lego movie from Taylor Armstrong. I think. But that wasn't your most played artist, right? Yeah, I don't know who my most played artist was. It might have been Valley. It was Valley. All right. I like Valley a lot. I feel strongly about that. Cool. Anything else for your segment? Ooh, yeah. I made these really yummy gingerbread cookies. They have chai, like chai, vanilla, like buttercream frosting stuff. And and I just put the chai like tea in instead of water. Oh my gosh, it was so good. It wasn't buttercream because I didn't use butter. But it was really yummy. I made them into fun shapes and then put up a whole bunch of chai icing on it. They were good. They were, they really, were good. really yummy. I liked them a lot. I read a lot of books. I she never did. read books. And and then this year I read books. Yeah. It was nice. Do you I'm know how many you read this year? Um, 
I think over 20. Nice. Yeah, I think over 20 because of all the dumb little books that I read in <laughs> December. They were n- not great. All right. Anything else? I, re- I read a lot of books. It was good. And I read one of your books, except for didn't have an ending. That was in October, but yeah. Yeah. Wait, did I read I Write Big this year too? Probably the new version, yeah. Yeah. I read two of your books and I started a third book. Mm-hmm. You're one of my most read authors this year. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. I want to be right. done now. <laughs> Mika no longer the host now? Yeah, I want to stop talking and I want to drink my tea. Okay. Okay. Well, we're in the 80s now to get into the music history. Do you remember anything that we've been talking about? No. Don't at all? We talked about two... Madonna. Two era-defining artists the most recently. Madonna. We did talk about Madonna, but there was another one too. No. Prince. Yeah. Talked about Prince. Now we're switching genres a little bit, and we're going to talk about probably the biggest and most important genre that was born in the '80s. Hair metal. No, we already talked about that. Oh, <laughs> we're darn. not doing hair metal part two. We're talking about hip hop. I am an expert on hip hop. Yes, that's why I wanted you to to be here for this. How would you describe hip hop? How at Miss Expert? How would you explain it to people? Well, it has like, it has like, it has like a fun little dance beat situation. Okay. It's Anything very, with a dance beat is hip hop? A hippity hoppity. No, it has to be a hippity hoppity dance beat. Okay. And uh, not like a, not like a jazz dance beat. Okay. Or like a swing dance beat. Like it's not that. Right. What about a funk dance beat? Well, funk is funk and funk and hip hop beats could probably be the same, but funk has like the weird sounds. Okay, I actually stand by that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there, there's more to it, but <laughs> okay. So, as we usually do when we kind of talk about genres, I'm going to do a little bit of defining the characteristics of what hip hop is, and then we'll get into where it came from and how it developed. You know, for someone that likes technical things as much as I do, I really don't pay attention to the technical side of music. No. You Just don't pay attention sad. to any of this that I tell you. I would if I had more mental energy. All my mental energy went to cleaning out the closet and writing down all the colors of my pens. Sure. Well, it's also important to note we're only really going to be talking about like the early hip hop in this episode. It branches off into many different areas. And we'll talk about a little bit of that a couple episodes from now. But for now, we're focusing on early hip hop, which is very different than what it sounds like now. The trunk. The tree trunk. Yes, sure. (laughs) More like the roots. No, because roots would have been like funk and R&B. So yes, the tree trunk. Good job. You're welcome for the analogy. (laughs) So many people think that hip hop is synonymous with rap. Like rapping and hip hop are the same thing, but that's not really true. That's not true because hip hop and rap might have a similar beat, but rap is is your is where you're rapping. <laughs> okay, hip hop is a cultural movement that encompasses rap, but also DJing, break dancing, and graffiti. Hip hop. I'm sorry, hip hop is a type of dance in graffiti. Yep, it's a culture. It's a cultural movement. No, it's not. It is. What? <laughs> I've never heard someone think of hip hop like that. We're talking about music. Yeah, we're going to focus on the music part of it. We're not talking about the graffiti or the breakdancing aspect of it. I'm sorry. 
How is you've graffiti hip hop? You've heard of hip hop dancing. That's a whole like dance style. Like street dancing, hip hop dancing, like that's I definitely thought that was just because my like white Christian dance troupe didn't know what to call <laughs> something that wasn't ballet. No, it's it's a whole dance style and it, break dancing is a hip hop dance style and we'll get into where that name came from probably. Well, are there are there other hip hop dance styles besides break dancing? I mean, yeah, probably. I don't know dancing that well, but <laughs> Okay, anyway. I'm hip-hop really is, having a hard time with this actually. Hip hop is a cultural movement. I don't like that. Hip hop has its own music as well, but it also encompasses those other I'm elements. I'm sorry, we're going to have to go back to specifically hip hop graffiti. <laughs> okay. What is non hip hop graffiti? Uh stuff like Banksy, what he does isn't hip hop graffiti. Damn it, you're right. It's just street art, but like tagging is more hip hop graffiti. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't like it. There is a definite difference between the hip hop version and just street Damn art. I bet you're right. Oh my gosh. Anyway. I accept it, but I don't like it. So it also, we're going to be focusing mainly on like the rap and specifically the DJing portion of it. You can DJ not hip hop though. Yes. See wedding DJ. Yeah. But we're talking about the hip hop DJs. Uh, I'm not saying all DJing is hip hop, but there is hip hop DJ. Is all breakdancing hip hop? Probably, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know dance, so asking me questions about dance stuff is not going to go well. I don't, <laughs> I don't know dance terms. What other, what other things are hip hop? My sister, whenever do you know about this? Yes, about <laughs> From, her like, hip hop. Our very first episode, I remember you telling me about. <laughs> you already knew. Yeah, because in our very first episodes, I mentioned we'll get into hip hop later, and then you're like, the only thing I know about hip hop is the little costumes my sister used to wear well no it's not even like little co- uh, yeah like pajamas or something no 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 it's dresses specifically okay. well i think that shirts could have had hip-hops but they were dresses this isn't like her four-year-old mm. like lingo and definition of things and the hip-hops were like the puffy right the puffy part at the top of the sleeve that you would find on like 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 i'm picturing like princess yeah dress. like yeah. cinderella and like ariel when she's like wearing the pink dress mm-hmm. that has big hip-hops Those are (laughs) hip-hops. All right. Good to know. Well, I don't think that would fit into this hip-hop that we're talking about. Okay. But there probably is like hip-hop fashion. That's a thing. So just anything that you would think of as like a cultural movement, hip-hop probably had something. really struggling to redefine. (laughs) Well, we're focusing on rap and DJing portion of it. So just you can just pretend that that's hip-hop for you. Mm. The music of hip-hop is usually very rhythmic. It's built around a drum beat and rapping, which is a style of vocal performance that incorporates rhyming and rhythm, usually in kind of like a chanted style. I like you explaining rapping. I think that that's funny. (laughs) Rapping normally consists of three elements, the lyrics, the flow, and the delivery. You on board? Well, yeah, it's rapping. Okay. The term hip-hop had been used for a while for like for dances that were known as like hippity hops that's that's been a thing (laughs) but the use of it for this type of music and art style is credited to a guy named keith cowboy wow who we will talk about later because he is a rapper as part of like the grandmaster flash and the furious five group he was in that group and we talk about them next episode so we'll talk more about him 
Uh, apparently, he used hip-hop in a rapping cadence to make fun of his friend who was joining the military. There's a lot to unwrap in that. Because he was doing it like the like the marching cadence, like hip, 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 hop, hip, like that kind of thing. Like <laughs> He was using That's it to make fun of his like so great. stuff he was going to be doing. And then it just stuck, and he started incorporating that into his music, which we'll get to later, but like hip, hip, hip-hop, hippity, that thing. Like he started incorporating that kind of saying it that way. No one is for sure if that's like actually where it came from to describe this music, but that's it. We're Grand- gonna accept that. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five definitely took credit for it. So, the actual word "rap" was used in slang, particularly in African American communities, to refer to discussing something in a frank manner. It was used in reference to music in 1970 when Isaac Hayes released a song called "Monologue Ike's Rap." which featured him just talking over music. I like it. Okay. Those talking portions became signature parts of his sound. And then a rapper named Del the Funky Homo Sapien Oh, wow. said, quote, back then what rapping meant basically was you're trying to convey something. You're trying to convince somebody. That's what rapping is. It's in the way you talk, end quote. It's speech and debate yeah. over music. <laughs> Seems kind of silly to explain what rap music is. I think most people today are at least familiar with it. So let's just kind of get into the history well, and see you, where it came from. Can you demonstrate it a little bit? No, I me. cannot. <laughs> that would that would feel offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we've talked about hip hop as more of an art system, we'll be focusing on the music portion. So mostly rap and DJs. A lot of different genres that we've already talked about influenced rap, like jazz, funk, soul, R&B, blues, etc. So you can listen to all of those episodes if you want a more thorough review of what influenced rap. We won't really talk about it much. I feel like I've lost you. You're just staring into the distance. I am. It's because I realized that I want to do a special Mika as a host now, but actually think about like the things that are my favorite of all of the, all of the genres of my life. <laughs> Like end of the year wrap up like like a YouTuber. Okay. We like, have a YouTube now. You can put it on there. No. Why not? It's visual. Oh, you want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an audio medium girly. All right. Well. So hip hop also has deep roots in Caribbean music and the immigrants who brought that type of music to America, specifically New York City. So picture yourself in the early 70s. New York City is bursting with all of that different culture from the Caribbean and South America and Central America and all of that different music happening. At that time, New York City was kind of collapsing, though. The economy was hurting. The city, to try and save expenses, cut back on civil workers, which led to an increase in crime and decrease in sanitation. I thought for a second you were going to say silverware. Carry on. (laughs) Okay. It Um, sounded like it. In what became known as white flight, most of the upper and middle class fled the city to the suburbs. That's an apt name. Yeah. Neighborhoods became segregated. Businesses closed. Sources of entertainment either closed or were far too expensive. So the young people started to make their own entertainment on the streets by hosting block parties. DJs would set up mobile sound stations that were introduced in Jamaican culture first, and they'd set up some cardboard for a breakdancing floor. DJs would start to isolate the drum beat and the rhythm of the funk songs that they were playing and started to talk over the track to entertain the crowd between dancers and songs. Is this all clicking? You're picturing it? Yes. Yeah, You're cool. on a street in Harlem 
And then the guy sets up his old sound system, playing some funk records. That's cool. All right. Onto the scene stepped DJ Cool Herc. Cool Herc? Herc. Is his name Hercules? Yeah, actually. That's where it came That's from. That's great. It's H-U-R-C. So, Herc. But his real name was Clive Campbell, and he was born in Jamaica. You just said his name was Hercules. That's his nickname. That's his DJ name. His real name is Clive Campbell. We'll get to why he was called Hercules. Just have patience. Hercules! <laughs> he was born in Jamaica. Growing up, he listened to the neighborhood... Oh. Me too, unfortunately. That's not... That's must be parties. <laughs> but in my script, it says... Growing up, he listened to the neighborhood pirates. <laughs> I don't think that's a that's thing. That's a bad influence. <laughs> Friendly neighborhood pirate. He is in Jamaica. It is an island. There could be neighborhood pirates. That's awesome. So growing up, he listened to the neighborhood parties using the sound systems, and he heard the MC's speech that was known as toasting at that point. When his family moved to the Bronx when he was 12, he took all of that with him. He was six foot nine and intimidating on the basketball court, so people started to call him Hercules. Good. Yeah. After he was bullied in high school, a black nationalist group known as the Five Percenters took him, and he said they Americanized him. Mm. After that, he started hanging out with a graffiti gang called the Ex Vandals and took the name Cool Herc. Cool Herc. Hold on. What? How old? How old? Yeah. Uh, high school. Probably. That sounds like a high school high boy school thing to like do. High school or like right out of high school. That sounds exactly like the type of nickname that a high school boy would make <laughs> cool. for himself. Yes. Cool is also spelled with a K. Of course it is. Yep. Of course it is. Does he also like burst through walls filled with like <laughs> red liquid that's mostly sugar? Probably. Okay. Cool Herc got a sound system and started to play around with it. In 1973, his sister Cindy needed some money for back-to-school supplies. No, pause. Hold on. We're going to follow this lore. Did he come before the Kool-Aid man? How, how old is Kool-Aid? Did Kool-Aid get their Kool-Aid-ness from Cool Herc? <laughs> sure. With the K? <laughs> I, that was just a very common Did he common pilot way. that? I don't think so, no. Damn it. We can say he did, though. That can be lore on our podcast. So in 1973, Cool Herc's sister, Cindy, needed some money for back-to-school supplies. So she decided to host a party at the rec room of their apartment and let her older brother, Herc, perform some music. So people would pay to get into the party, and then she would have school supplies. This sounds like something Madison would do. Yeah. It was at that back-to-school bash that Herc created the spark for hip-hop. He knew that dancers liked the heavy rhythm and percussion part of songs, which was known as the break. So, he let the break stretch out as long as he could. What he'd do is he'd play just the break on one turntable, and then when it got near the end, he'd start it again on a second turntable and switch over. Then he'd repeat that for however long people wanted to dance to it, which is a technique that he called the merry-go-round. You tracking? Makes sense. Okay. So you know what it's the, very innovative. Like the break is yeah. in like a funk song when it like kind of fades out. It's just like a drum solo or bass solo kind of thing. Yeah. Because of his contributions and development, Cool Herc is known as the founding father of hip hop. Cool Herc became a bit of a local legend. He assembled a group of dancers and rappers and just hosted small parties all over the city. The earliest innovators of hip hop all say that he was the one who most inspired them. 
Good job, cool Herc. In the mid-80s, when his father passed away, Herc couldn't cope, and he became addicted to crack cocaine, which was very much going around the scene in the mid-80s. He also suffered from some serious medical medical conditions in 2011, made worse by his not having health care. Mm. Other than that, he's kind of had a lower profile. 2011, not having health care, someone who pioneered a whole like mm-hmm. music and yeah. culture genre arguably really like, sucks. Arguably like the most popular genre right now. That's unsurprising yeah. and bad. So I couldn't find any performances of Cool Herc's, but here he is describing the merry-go-round technique. Oh, cool. You get to learn from the expert. Mm -hmm. One night, I'm waiting for the record to play out. I said, I wonder if I... Did you lie to me? This says Cool DJ Herc. They're waiting for this particular break. DJ Cool Herc, Cool DJ, whatever. It's got the same breakup in it. I wonder how would it be if I put them all together. And I told them, I said, I'm going to try something new tonight. I'm gonna call it a merry-go-round. Herc's merry-go-round meant that instead of playing whole records, he would play just the instrumental breaks, mixing between them to create a continuous dance rhythm. I started out with the dog. Leave down, James Brown, clap your hand, stomp your feet. That part right there when the break, boom, I had to come up with Bongo Rock. Honestly, that's like so incredibly impressive. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about Grandmaster Flash next episode and what he did and like watching him do it was like really It's fun watching on like records. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Cool Herc kind of explaining the merry-go-round a little bit. I love him. But soon everyone wanted to outdo Cool Herc and have their parties be better than his. Cool Herc realized that his speaking and rhyming on the mic over the tracks was just as important to keep the party alive, but his focus on doing that whole merry-go-round technique made it difficult for him to do both at the same time. He's just, like, there for the vibe. He's like, here your dance. Here yeah. you go. Also, now, the, I'm guessing now you can kind of pick up on why they're called break dancers, because they're dancing during the break. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> Uh, so because he knew that he needed to keep the, the vocals going over his breaks to keep the party alive, he reached out to his friend who went by the name Coke LaRock to be the first dedicated MC. Feels like you're thinking about that name. No, I'm thinking about MC. Okay. What about it? Like, what does it stand for? Mm, don't tell me. Mm, I will say, I don't no. know that. Coke LaRock ever called himself an MC because I think a, ma- a member of Grandmaster Flash's Furious Five was the first person to use MC as their name, but maybe Coke LaRock did it after that. I don't know. I forgot that it starts with an E and not an M. No, it's, it's just the letters MC. No, no. People have mm. truncated it, but it's <laughs> MC. Microphone captain. <laughs> It's not bad. <laughs> it's master of ceremonies. That seems so formal. <laughs> I mean, all of it, like grandmaster is like, like a lot of this is pretty formal. 
Um, Coke LaRock was born in the Bronx and was a friend of Herc's growing up. He was at that first back-to-school bash that where hip-hop started and where so it's one of those events that like so many people now will tell you they were there when they probably weren't. There was probably like 15 people there and they were just all Herc's friends. But anyway, Coke LaRock was there and he was at pretty much every party after that. He says the name Coke LaRock came to him in a dream. About cocaine. Maybe. So at the beginning, Coke LaRock would do his rapping out of sight, so no one knew who he was. And he said about those early days, quote, At first I would just call out my friends' names. Then I, <laughs> then I pretended that dudes had double-parked cars. That was to impress the girls. Truthfully, I wasn't there to rap. I was just playing around. Oh my quote. god, that's so funny. <laughs> Coke's raps were always... On the God mic, just messing yeah. with people. <laughs> yep, that's how rapping started. <laughs> but rapping is supposed to be important, and he's just like <laughs> fucking with people. Yep. So Coke's raps were always improvs, <laughs> but he did have some phrases and rhymes that he'd repeatedly go back to, like, you rock and you don't stop. That's a catchphrase. Yeah. And hotel, motel, you don't tell, we won't tell. What? <laughs> I don't know. They're just little random phrases that he's just goofing off with. Rapping started by just Coke LaRock just goofing off. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. As more and more people started to copy and perfect the Cool Herc and Coke LaRock style, their popularity started to seriously wane. And this was around like 1977. Well, yeah. He's not putting any thought into it. He's just shooting shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then it gets a little bit serious. Oh, okay. Uh, cool Herc got stabbed at a party. Oh, God. And Coke went looking to kill the guy who did it. See, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. But the guy who did the stabbing, his friends had already moved him out of the neighborhood and after that whole situation, Coke decided to just kind of like take a step back from the hip hop movement and let the young, younger generation spearhead it for a bit. I love, I love that Coke is like, ha ha, my friends are dumb. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I will kill you. <laughs> like he has your back, man. I think there was a whole more to this. Like maybe it was a younger friend of theirs who was really like looking to kill the guy and Coke was just kind of around. What? Because... He just realized that if murder was going to be a part of this whole hip-hop scene, he just didn't want to be in it. So he took a step back from Honestly, it. Honestly, he saw the writing on the wall yeah. and he was like, okay, yeah. never mind. <laughs> Plus, he had just had a son, <laughs> so he wanted to spend more time with him. Being a good dad. Uh, Grandmaster Kaz, who was another legendary hip-hop pioneer, said that Coke was the first rapper. But, quote, Coke didn't rap traditionally as we know it. Coke spoke over the music. He would do the shout-outs and stuff, end quote. But still, his he forever influenced rap and what came after. It's amazing how famous you can be for just talking. <laughs> but, I mean, it's because of what people did with hip-hop. Like, if it just died out, then no one would know who he was But like, mm. because of where it's gone. So, after that, people really took the innovations that Cool Herc started and expanded on them. Two people to do that were Grandmaster Flash, who we will talk about next episode, and Africa Bambata. That's a good name. Who is known as the Godfather. Also a good name, I guess. Probably like the Godfather of rap or hip hop. 
Africa Bambata was born to Jamaican and Barbadian parents and was named Lance Taylor. Also a good name. Yeah. Not quite as good as Africa Bambata. Some members of his family were activists for social issues, so he had that always in his mind growing up. His I mother can't snap and it doesn't work. <laughs> his mother also had an extensive record collection. At that time, gangs were basically the police forces of the Bronx neighborhoods, and Africa was a member of the Black Spades gang. He rose uh, also th- a good name. <laughs> <laughs> he rose through the ranks and became the warlord who was responsible for recruitment. This dude <laughs> He's the godfather, the warlord. I've never heard so many good names. Normally it's like they have one that I'm like, all right, that's great. And then they come up with something like the blue shoe. And I'm like, no, well, you lost it a little bit. I will just warn you, don't get too attached to African Bambata. Just just don't don't fall too much in love with it. Is there more murder? Is there more muck duck? No. No. Just, yeah, just. Be on guard. Listen, he knows how to name a name. That's true. And so did his parents, apparently. So he is the warlord in the Black Spades, responsible for recruitment into the gang. He quickly helped make the Spades the largest group in the neighborhood. But after winning a trip to Africa, his philosophy changed. I don't know how he won the trip. I don't know what happened, but he went to Africa. That's the important part here. Great. He changed his name to Africa Mambata and came back home with the goal of improving his city. There's conflicting stories on when Africa started hosting parties. Some say he did it before Cool Herc. Others say he took inspiration from Cool Herc. But Africa wanted to use these hip-hop parties to influence kids kids, out of the gang lifestyle. Sounds all good so far. I'm keeping my mouth shut. You told me to keep my mouth shut. In 1982, he took his group of dancers, artists, and DJs out of the country for the first ever hip-hop tour. Stop, that's cool. Here is one of his songs that is more funk than rap, but you can kind of understand his style a little bit more. Okay. guess i really did either all right that's planet rock from africa bambata okay i like the beat in the late i do 70- not like the videography okay it was, it was old school probably low budget in the late 70s he started the zulu nation a collection of rappers and other people from the hip-hop subculture who were dedicated to social change but in 2016 the organization restructured and distanced themselves from africa bambata after he was accused of molesting a 15-year-old in 1980. Following that accusation, three more men came forward and accused him. Africa Bimbada denied the allegations in Rolling Stone, but an investigative report in Vice claimed that Africa's crimes were well-known in the Bronx and amongst his friends. 
friends, step up. Thank you. Grandmaster, not sorry, Mel Mel, who is the lead vocalist of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, said that everyone knew and it was rap's best kept secret. But he refused to give a direct answer when asked if he knew. No, Uh, No charges have ever been brought. No charges? No charges have ever been brought. So far, I guess. Well, that sucks. <clears throat> KRS-One, who is another hip-hop legend, said, quote, Africa Bambata has to deal with Africa Bambata. The accusations made against him are made against him. They're not made against hip-hop. On top of that, nothing that Africa Bambata did with, in, and for hip-hop is to be taken away from him because of these accusations. End quote. Which is, I don't know, kind of like hedging a little bit, and it feels strange. So that's the mm-hmm. that's Africa Bambata story. There, I mean, obviously, it's there's a lot more. I just kind of hit a couple of highlights of his career because he was very influential to the start of hip hop and that kind of like changing it into the social progress direction from what like Coke Rock was doing. Golly, people are so complex. Like yep. the okay, okay. So now we're going into a different story. Because there's another innovation during this period that I think is really worth highlighting. You ready to hear about it? Yeah. So Grandmaster Flash is this like hugely innovative DJ, and he develops a lot of techniques, but he had an apprentice. And his apprentice had a younger brother named Theodore Livingston. Also, the I try to look up like what can make you a Grandmaster. Like what is, what is the differentiation in these names? Mm-hmm. I think one, there was like a, Quora question or something because I looked at a bunch of different stuff and one answer I think was the best. The guy just said what makes you a grandmaster is you start calling yourself that and people don't question it. I was like all right. Yeah well that's what I thought was happening the whole time. Is there like a a hierarchy that was self-created like in this? It's kind of what is the word? Uh, Taekwondo karate type stuff where it's like there's different levels and I saw someone said that you have to being a grandmaster means you developed a new technique in DJing, like something you did was like different than what people have done before. Okay. But really, like people, if you call yourself a grandmaster and you've done nothing, people in the hip hop community are gonna be like, "You're you're not like, why are you doing that?" Oh, so they'll call out that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Theodore Livingston. When Theodore was 12, he started messing around with his brother's equipment, but he was being too loud, so his mom came into the room to yell at him. So when his mom came into the room, he put his hands on the record to stop them. When he went back to listen to the recording of that, he heard the scratching from when his hand was shaking, and that's how scratching became a thing for DJs. That's insanely cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Shout out to that mom. Right. (laughs) Like... (laughs) So Theodore Livingston and his mom created scratching on accident. So at the start, the larger music industry did not pay any attention to hip hop. They thought it was just this kind of like weird fad that was happening in the outer boroughs of New York. Really? When will they get their head out of their ass about (laughs) the things that are happening in the outer boroughs of New York? (laughs) Once they see it sell. That's when they will. No, but like, like, come on, come on. Just just know your roots a little bit about the whole music thing. <laughs> so that started to change in 1979. People think that Rapper's Delight was the first recorded rap song, but that's not entirely true. 
A few months before that song came out, the Fatback Band put out a disco album. On that album, they brought in a guy named Timothy Washington to record a rap song. So King Tim III was the first commercially released rap song. You ready to hear it? I'm so ready. King Tim the Third, yes. not a good name. <laughs> well, that's the name of the song. That doesn't matter. It's bad. What about the Fatback Band? How do you feel about that? I think that's between them and them, them, them and them and God. Okay. Well, Fatback is one word. I think it's more like Fatback Pork or whatever. I don't know. This just is a rap song. People don't know about it, so they don't call it the first one. Well, someone has to know about it in order for you to find it in your research. It's not common. Tim the third. All right. How do you feel about it? I mean, what can you say about the first thing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that song was originally a B side, but it did so well that they were re-released it as the A side and it charted on the R and B charts. Just listen to the whole thing. What? Like the Just whole record? Listen to the whole record. No. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, Sylvia Robinson, who was an R&B singer, was brought to a hip-hop party by her son. She fell, cool. in, she fell in love with the rapping and thought it would be great on a record. She said, quote, all of a sudden something said to me, put something like that on a record and it will be the biggest thing. Uh, I didn't even know you called it rap, end quote. I love her. But every DJ and rapper that she approached about recording turned her down. Cool Herc told her it just didn't make sense to record hip-hop. Sylvia went to go get some pizza at a place called Crispy Crust and heard an employee rapping while he worked. His name was Big Bank Hank. Wow. <laughs> she asked if he wanted to be a part of the group that she was forming. Hank agreed. She told Hank to bring in a couple more guys, so he got his friends Wonder Mike and Master G. You good? It, the the names are very we're we're at the high school middle school level right now. <laughs> That's where a lot of them probably came from. They just yes. started calling themselves that in high school and stuff. Yep. Uh, the only problem was that none of the guys actually had any written raps, and they were a little worried about that. <laughs> so Hank went to a guy named Grandmaster Kaz, who we already we quoted him earlier about Coke Rock. Okay. Kaz was the first person to perform as a DJ and rapper at the same time. Okay, look at him. Kaz gave Hank his book with a bunch of old rhymes in it, hoping that it would eventually lead to something. So Hank is now armed with this book of Kaz's old raps. And Sylvia brought the guys in to record and helped them arrange the loose rhymes into something that kind of resembled a song with verses and choruses and stuff. I'm obsessed with her. Which at that time wasn't a thing in hip hop. They, the people just kind of like improvised thing. Like I yeah. think Kaz was one of the few that was actually writing raps and rhymes to perform. Most of them would just kind of like improvise rhymes over mm -hmm. things. And they definitely didn't have choruses. Mm -hmm. 
So they named themselves the Sugar Hill Gang after a neighborhood in Harlem known for its artists. Okay. I like the depth of history there. It's a good name. Yeah. (laughs) They did the song in one take with a studio band playing 16 Measures of Good Times by Sheik in the background. (laughs) The song was originally 19 minutes long. Holy. But they cut it down to 14 minutes. Even though that was horrible for radio, Sylvia refused to cut it down anymore. When it was released, the song became a massive hit and really helped establish hip-hop as a viable music genre. I needed to hear this. That you've, kept people... You've definitely already heard it. But here is... No, I need to hear all 14 minutes of it. Oh, like, why could you not cut minutes. it? Like, I need to know... I need to know. You, do you know... It's called Rapper's Delight. Do you know this song, The Sugar Hill Gang? Like, just off the name. I'm sure once I name, play no. it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. No. no. Okay. Well, here is Rapper's Delight. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. Or to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, and the purple, and yellow. But first, I got to bang, bang, the boogie to the boogie. Say, up, jump, the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the rhythm, and I'll make your body rock. Well, so far, you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out. When I'm built, the dip, the ladies dip, the women fight for my dip. You're not But I'm the grand master with the three MCs that shop the house. But the young ladies, and when you come inside into the front, you do the freak spank or do the bump. And when the sucker MCs try to prove a point with Trent's trio, or with the serious daughter from sun to sun and from day to day, I sit down and write a brand new rhyme. Because they say that miracles never cease. I've created a devastating masterpiece. I'm going to rock the I love him. It's interesting that he said, I'm a grandmaster when he's not, but he was probably just reciting Kaz's. Yeah. Lines. All right, well, that's Rapper's Delight. How do you feel about it? It's I very thought that it would hip-hop. be a little bit more substantial if it's 14 minutes long. <laughs> kind of just sounds like 14 minutes of them saying shit still. Yeah. <laughs> it's very early hip-hop. That's kind of what it was. Okay. The Sugar Hill Gang, after being sued by Sheik, kind of fizzled out after like five years. Why? Because they didn't get Oh, because that was what was this. underneath yeah. <laughs> Uh, they didn't have any more hits. I feel like Miss Ma'am maybe Sylvia overlooked that. Like yeah, I feel like bit. she has a lot of know-how. She put this together. It's it's like giving like boss babe. It's it's like I I am orchestrating all of this, and she just forgot one key detail. There's probably a part of her that just never expected Sheik to even know it existed. Yeah, because it's like it's just this little underground thing. The first recorded. Like the first attempt at recording a rap, like there's, in her mind, it's like there's no way this is gonna get to Chic, one of the like mm-hmm. the biggest disco bands in the country right now. Mm-hmm. But it did because the song was a hit. Uh, I'm so, proud of her anyway. I she's my favorite part of this episode. So even though not Theodore with his mom and his scratching, that was my favorite part. Well, that's pretty cute, but 
I mean, come on. Yeah. Like this lady was like, no, we're going to, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do it in a way that's going to like work right. and like make it popular. And I totally respect that. So that band kind of fizzled out, but they showed the world what hip hop, that hip hop can sell. And they opened the floodgates. It actually ushered in what is known as the golden age of hip hop. So called because of the innovation that was happening all around it. As legendary hip hop icon Sway said, quote, the thing that made that era so great is that nothing was contrived. Everything was still being discovered and everything was still innovative and new. That is very cool. In the early 80s, hip hop was trying to find out what it was and people were trying a ton of different things. It was seen as the most diverse era of hip hop and artists started to incorporate different musical styles into hip hop to see what worked. Bands like Run DMC incorporated a lot of rock elements into their music and had a massive hit when they released a song with Aerosmith in 1986. I love that. Uh, Rappers like LL Cool J started to add melodic hooks into songs to make them more pop accessible. Curtis Blow started to make rap dance music. Here is a song by Curtis Blow called The Breaks. Guessing you know where that name comes from. got more to cover so i'm gonna run through some of these i wasn't done reading the story Mm -hmm. about the math teacher who who was like break it up break it up break (laughs) it up and decided that that was the key to making this student graduate oh that was it that was what did it so also during the early 80s hip-hop culture spread out of new york largely thanks to movies being made that featured it movies like breakin in 1984 earned $57 million at the box office. And also, Run DMC was having tremendous success on the radio, so the culture was just growing up and exploding. It was during this golden age period when Lawrence Parker started getting interested in hip-hop culture. He grew up in Harlem and had a rough childhood, regularly receiving beatings from his stepfather. At 16, he left home and lived in a homeless shelter where he started going by KRS-One which stood for knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is also the guy who had the quote about Africa Bambata and how that didn't tarnish hip hop. Oh so he was in a homeless shelter where he named himself KRS one. And it was in that shelter where he met a youth counselor named Scott Sterling, who was also a DJ who went by the name Scott LaRock, no relation to Coke LaRock. Okay. The two started a partnership that they called Boogie Down Productions. That's cute. Yeah. That's really cute. And they released their first album in 1987. Hell yeah. Later that year, Scott was trying to mediate a dispute and was shot as he was leaving. 
Not cool. He died in the operating room. That's awful. Yeah. Scott, you're great. KRS was determined to carry on with Boogie Down Productions and released another album in 1988 with D-Nice, who was a beatboxer, who was the guy that started the dispute that got Scott killed. Oh. And the other person in their group was a rapper named Ramona Parker, who was married to KRS from 1988 to 1992. That album is seen as the first politically conscious album in hip-hop. It covered topics like safe sex, government corruption, and violence within the hip-hop community. I'm obsessed. Here is the song called My Philosophy from the album, I think, called By All Means Necessary. I really want to hear a song about safe sex. I feel like that needs to be like front and center. Put that out there. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Let us begin. What, where, why, always. Globally explain like instructions to a game. See, I'm not insane. In fact, I'm kind of rational. When I be asking you who is more dramatic, this one or that one, the white one or the black one, pick the punk and I'll jump up to attack one. KRS-One is just the guy to lead a crew. Right up to your face and diss you. A lot of suckers would like to forget me, but they can't. Cause like a champ, I have got a record of knocking out the frauds in a second. On the mic, I believe that you should get loose. I haven't come to tell you I got juice. I just produce, create, innovate on a higher level. I'll be back. But for now, just settle. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I played the diamond, you played the target. You all know my name, so I guess I'll just start it. Or should I say start this? I'm a Start this. Artists often new concepts that they're hardest. Cause I'm a teacher, I'm not going to lie, like, he manifested, like, his future (laughs) self with his name. I'm obsessed. Like, way to grow into it. I'm proud of you. (laughs) KRS went solo in the 90s and continued to have decent success in the years since. He started a stop violence movement. I like him. Also in the 80s, Eric Barrier, who went by Eric B., started DJing for a radio station at their local events around New York City. Eric was from Queens, and he grew up playing the trumpet and drums before switching to the turntables. He was always looking for an MC to team up with. A promoter based in Queens recommended a guy named William Griffin, who went by the name Rakim. Rakim thought about pursuing a professional football career, but switched to music. Like Rakim, like we will, we will Rakim? Well, it's R-A-K-I-M. Rakim. Oh, okay, so no, not at all. (laughs) Okay, you could just say no. Well, I, I... felt like spelling it would be helpful for you. It is very helpful. Okay, never mind. So he said that switching to music from football was the right decision since he was only 5'9". Be a kicker. Yeah, we're running back. In 1986, they signed with Island Records and they released their debut album called Paid in Full in 1987. 
They recorded it in a week at another New York City DJ's home studio. They both say that that album was rushed because they only had a week. Rakim said, quote, I used to write my rhymes in the studio and go right into the booth and read them. When I hear my first album today, I hear myself reading my rhymes, but I'm my own worst critic. That's what I hear, though, because that's what it was. I'd go into the studio, put the beat down, write the song in like an hour, and go into the booth and read it from the paper, end quote. The album was unlike anything that hip-hop had heard up until that point. I, hold on. I can't get over this. Why did they only have a week? Just money and okay. time. Yeah. I'm sorry. That like <laughs> the, the the sentence, it felt rushed because they only had a week and so it was or whatever you said. I was like, well, y- yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... What? Yeah. Like, I was... This just were, the definition of it all just like, using, really stopped my brain in the tracks. They were using another rapper's home studio, so maybe that rapper needed it and was like, I'll just give you a week to do this or something. I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe there was a... Uh, deadline with their label they had a week they made a record great okay moving on (laughs) the album was unlike anything hip-hop had heard up until that point where other popular rappers like run dmc on krs1 were shouting into the mic rakim was more methodic with it it wasn't a simple rhyming structure either it was more complex i like it it also introduced heavy sampling into hip-hop it's widely considered one of the greatest rap albums of all time and it forever set rakim up as the front runner for the greatest rapper ever. That's so cool. Like a lot of a lot of the big rappers still cite him as like the greatest of all time. That's so cool. Even though a lot of people today don't know who he was, but like I've heard people like Jay Z and Eminem be like, he's he's up there. He's got to be one of the best. Uh, it sold over a million copies, and it led to the group being signed to a major label contract. You know what this is like reminding me of? This is reminding me of those people who can like pick up an instrument and like j- just yeah. do whatever. Like he has to be good if he like made a really good record yeah. in a week. Yeah. Like and if you just sit down, rhymes. like especially since apparently it's so like the rhyme structure is complicated mm-hmm. and the writing is more complicated. Like that's that's cool. Yeah. You went and you wrote something down in an hour and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's a song. Like right. shut that's up. Impressive. So Eric B. and Rakim eventually split up in 1992 after some contractual issues and Eric B. being afraid that Rakim was going to go solo. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Break up the band. That's a good way to (laughs) To prevent someone doesn't go solo. Great job. Hope that was the outcome you wanted. (laughs) (laughs) So they both tried solo careers, but nothing ever really panned out. And by 2000, Eric B. was not even in the music industry but they did reunite for a tour in 2017. Here is their song, I Ain't No Joke. Is it Rakim or is it Rakim? Rakim. For sure. how I've heard it okay. in interviews. Already cinematography better. I treat you like a child and you're gonna be named Another enemy, not even a friend of me Cause you'll get fried in the end when you pretend to be competing Cause I just put your mind on pause and I complete when You compare my rhyme with yours I wake you up and as I stare in your face You seem stunned, remember me? The one you got your idea from But soon you start to suffer The tune will get rougher When you start to stutter That's when you had enough of 
in it'll make you choke you can't provoke you can't cope you should have broke because i ain't no joke I ain't no joke. Wait, where's Eric B? He was the guy on the turntables. But I want to see Eric B. <laughs> oh, too bad. In my opinion, the golden era of hip-hop peaked in 1988 when Public Enemy released It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. In the early 80s, Chuck Ridenour, who was from Long Island and started writing, writing lyrics at the age of 17 after a blackout, like a power blackout, not a drunk blackout, he went to school to study graphic design where he met William Drayton. William had also grown up in Long Island and had taught himself piano by the age of five. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's very surprising if you know who William Drayton is. Oh, is it? He eventually became proficient in 15 different instruments. It's okay. But he kept getting in trouble and by the time he dropped out of high school had been in and out of jail for burglary. While at school, Chuck, who started going by the name Chuck D., hosted a hip-hop radio show. That was the first place that he and William started collaborating. At that time, William started using his graffiti tag as his name and forever became known as Flava Flav. Stop. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's this musical prodigy. Flava Flav is a musical prodigy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm moving things around in my brain and I'm, I'm good. Chuck D. and Flava Flav decided to start a hip-hop group and called it Public Enemy. They released a single, and Rick Rubin, who was an upcoming music producer at that time, and he founded a record label in his dorm room at NYU, he heard the single... That was just such a sentence right there. Yeah, it was. Or There's a phrase. A lot of it wasn't even a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> he heard the single and desperately wanted to sign them, but he didn't really understand why Flava Flav was in the band and only Rude. wanted to sign Chuck D., but Chuck said they were a pair, so the two signed to Jeff Def Jam Records. Their first album was okay. It was loved by hip-hop experts, but widely ignored in the mainstream. But their second album gave them mainstream success. When they started making their second album, they wanted to create a hip-hop equivalent of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, huh. which is famous for being a very like social commentary-heavy album. Chuck said their goal was to, quote, really address some situations, end quote. They took what Boogie Down Productions and KRS-One started doing, and they really ramped it up. It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back sold 500,000 copies in the first month. A year, lo a year later, it had sold 1 million copies. It has been called one of the most influential records of all time, including by me in a YouTube video. <laughs> I did like the five world changing albums and this was one of them. Uh here is Bring the Noise from that album. Alright, 
That's bringing the noise. Sorry, I feel like I couldn't hear the lyrics because I was too busy hating the fact that it kept freezing. Yeah. I think that was just our internet. I don't think that was the the video. Okay. My I hurt now. <laughs> like that hurt my brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't even appreciate important things. So by the end of the 80s, a new version of hip hop was starting thanks to a little group in California known as NWA. I'm assuming you're familiar with NWA. I am. Gangster rap was officially on the scene. In my opinion, that's a completely new era. Some people call it a part of the golden era, but I think it's something different. So that's where we're going to leave hip-hop for now. You are the expert. No, so I'm definitely not sense. on hip-hop. But uh, next episode, we talk about Grandmaster Flash. So we kind of go back to the earlier days and learn about some of those innovations that were happening. Mm-hmm. And then the episode after that, we talk about NWA. We go into NWA's history so we can learn about where gangster rap came from. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I just wrote the episode like yesterday. It was it was fun. Yay. All right. So that's that's early hip hop. I like it. Know a lot more about it now if you paid attention. I paid attention. It's very <laughs> interesting. All right. Any any last thoughts? Yeah, I have a few last thoughts, but you have to wait for them. Okay. Okay, guys, it's just you and me. This is Mika is the host now, part two. Mika is the host now, part two. Okay, um, I have compiled a list of my favorite things because I know that that's why you listen to this whole podcast. I know, I know. Um, okay, so um, my favorite new artist that I listened to this year is Maisie Peters. She's not new, but I was new to her, and oh my goodness, um, I'm in love. Uh, my favorite concert was seeing Colony House at Ryman because I don't love Ryman as like my favorite venue to go to music and stuff like go see concerts but everyone that comes through Ryman really is very excited about it because of all the history and so seeing like bands that I've watched like I don't know grow up like as a band get to play there makes me really happy and that was so cool because they're from here and like it was just cool to see that they got to play there. Um, my favorite YouTube channel that I started watching is Artists on Artists on Artists on Artists. I think that they're a better podcast than us. Um, and then my favorite food was when Nick and I went to London and we and we ate at a Michelin-starred restaurant. It's called Evelyn's Table, and that was the best. So cool. I like food as art. And then my favorite person is Nick. Okay, bye. Happy New Year.